Do you want to maximize your success with NCUA? Join Mark Trichel as he shares with you the insider's view on passing your exam with Flying Colors. The With Flying Colors podcast is sponsored by Credit Union Exam Solutions by Mark Trichel. If you would like to work directly with the Credit Union Exam Solutions team and receive support to optimize your results with NCUA so you save time and money, visit us at marktrichel.com to find out more. Hey everyone, this is Mark Trichel with another episode of With Flying Colors. It is 4.44 p.m., March 14th, another interesting day in the world of banking. I went for a walk this morning to start my day after having listened to a couple podcasts along the way, read some Wall Street Journal and some other reports, and I had a few takeaways from that walk and all those things I was reading and digesting. And I also want to talk about the bank term funding program that the Federal Reserve has launched as a result of the actions over the weekend by the FDIC, the Treasury, and the Fed. All right. Well, first up, so the first thought that hit me as I was walking was a book I read about the failure of long-term capital management, which was a hedge fund that died some 20, 25 years ago. And there was a phrase in that book called picking up nickels in front of a bulldozer, which I believe is what it has turned out that Silicon Valley Bank was doing by getting short-term deposits in and investing long and doing it in a way without what appears to be any risk management, setting aside the fact that that this was allowed to happen. The book has a fabulous title. The book is called When Genius Failed. And I think we have a little bit of that going on here right now. So I'll put show note. A footnote in the show notes relative to that book. It's a great read, and you'll see a lot of what happened over the last week. It reminds me of a Mark Twain quote, history doesn't always repeat itself, but it certainly does rhyme. Another thing that I picked up on in a podcast I listened to, when they were talking to one of the advisors to venture capitalist firms, and you know the whole discussion was about how SVB only catered to venture capitalists. Ironically, venture funds and the companies they fund have a super high failure rate. So, you know, it's a super concentration of, of the most volatile and most risky firms in the country. Yet they built their whole business model off of this, which in irony, it's ironic that we didn't anticipate that this would fail. But again, hindsight is always 2020. But what they also talked about on this podcast was the fact, and this was the the advisor who said he was getting together with his venture capitalists and they were about to make a recommendation for their associated firms to pull money out. And before they did it, the FDIC took over and they the individual referred to the prisoner's dilemma that and the prisoner's dilemma is two people are arrested who committed a crime and they're making an offer to either one. They don't have the evidence to catch either one. And if they both keep their mouths shut, they'll get away with it. But the prisoner's dilemma is only the first person who cuts a deal gets the better deal. And in this situation, only the people who caused the run and created the run and took the money out got their money back. But then again, the late nights from Washington, D.C. came in and made everybody whole. And that's another takeaway. Another takeaway, which always happens when these things 
it, and I touched upon this the other day, is the blame game. Holy cow, is the blame game already going eight ways to Sunday from the Democrats blaming Trump, scaling back regulations to the Wall Street Journal editorial report talking about the Democratic donors screaming bloody murder to make sure that this got through over the weekend. Now, what's the reality? Is there a little bit of truth to all of that? Probably. Is there enough blame to go around? Absolutely. You know, when uh, failures like this happen at NCUA and FDIC, they end up doing what's called a postmortem. The inspector general of the FDIC is going to have to look at this, and they are quote unquote, independent, and I think will probably come down pretty harshly. I've heard that a 200 basis point shock at this institution wiped out all of its capital. I've heard that they didn't have a risk management division, which seems shocking. If I remember correctly, the FDIC still has resident examiners. So I'm sure those examiners probably are going to be questioned quite deeply relative to this. Hopefully, they're eligible to retire because this probably blew up any long-term plans they had at having a career at FDIC. So it's a big mess out there. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the bank term funding program, which is eligible to credit unions. And the webpage I'll put in the show notes, but it is created to support American businesses and households by making additional funding available to eligible depository institutions to help assure banks have the ability to meet the needs of all their depositors. It's interesting how they're tying it to Main Street America when really it's it's a tool that's going to help the banks. I guess indirectly it'll help frontline Americans accordingly. But it offers loans of up to one year in length to banks, savings associations, credit unions, and other eligible depositories, pledging any collateral eligible for purchase by the Federal Reserve Banks in open market operations, such as U.S. Treasuries, U.S. Agencies, U.S. Agency-backed mortgage-backed securities. Here's the key part. These assets will be valued at par. So as you know, when you put collateral up, they take a haircut, whether that's the Federal Home Loan Bank, whether that's your corporate credit union, whether that's NCUA as part of the CLF, they take a haircut. Well, in this instance, they're recognizing the fact that in some instances, it's because the market value is substantially lower than the par value that they will borrow up to the par value for one year. There are there's a really good FAQ that they put together. It's four pages long, and either they did a really good job putting this up over the weekend, or they had already kind of predetermined some of this. Just like as I as I mentioned this past weekend, the Vikings great coach Bud Grant passed away, and New York Times and everybody has somebody's obituary written once they hit a certain age. Well, it seems to me that. There had been some internal thoughts at FDIC, the Fed and Treasury about how they might do something like this down the road to exercise the authority that they have and were given during Dodd-Frank that allows them to say that an event has occurred that requires their intervention, which allows them, I don't want to say circumvent the rule about about uninsured shares, but it gives them a different path where they can guarantee other deposits like they did. Now, you can debate whether or not they needed to not whether or not they needed to do it, whether or not they they wanted to save all these venture capitalists, whether or not they believe that truly there was a contagion. Of course, 
you know, a, a contagion, if you talk about it enough, can be a, a fait accompli. You can will it to happen simply by talking about it so much, which also goes to, you know, all the chatter that was happening by hedge funds on Twitter. You know, we're in the world of social media. And in this instance, social media actually may have triggered this run, not to say that the, that the institution wasn't unsafe and unsound, but the communications and how they were happening essentially contributed to the wrong, which you could argue is a crime. The people that that did those things, but you, you can't you can't scream in a crowded theater that there's a fire leading to people get trampled and you can't be the cause of a run just or otherwise. And and clearly some of that did happen. Now, will anything happen here to those folks? No, I don't believe so. And it's just the world we live in today. And it, it, it permeates not just banking, social media is having strange effects on just about everything. And lo and behold, now it's impacting runs. All right. So on the bank term funding program, the four page FAQ, it talks about why did they design the program? How will the program work? How it's different from the primary credit and the main discount window? when the program will be operational and it became operational March 12th. I did hear from a good source. Let me look at my, my text here. I did hear from a good source that there were some credit unions who applied for this today. I did hear that there are approximately how many billions of dollars? I want to say that I heard it was $40 billion available. No, it's $25 billion available to the fund. There was a story from the rating agencies that several has put several institutions on a watch list and those for a potential downgrade. And those were First Republic, Intrust Financial, UMB, Zions, Bancorp and Western Alliance and Comerica. I'm guessing those folks went out and took a big chunk of this 25 billion already today perhaps tomorrow, so that they could get the liquidity in to cover um, statistically statistical abnormalities of the uninsured deposit variety, because that's, that's what triggered this problem at SVB. And that's what the analysts are looking at, is what type of uninsured shares do these banks have? And to me, I believe that's why they were put on the watch list. And they probably were included in some determination of who would be getting these funds. So while credit unions are getting the funds, I think there's bigger issues substantially on uninsured shares in banks than there are credit unions, as I mentioned in a previous podcast. So most of these funds will likely be out real quickly to banks that have substantial uninsured deposits. That's, that's an interpretation and a guess on my part. As far as collateral, it says, what is eligible collateral? Eligible collateral includes any collateral that is eligible for purchase by the Federal Reserve Bank and is owned by the borrower as of 12, March 12, 2023. How's the collateral value? The collateral valuation will be par value or equal to the outstanding face amount. Margin will be 100% of par. There will be no haircuts applied. If your institution already has eligible collateral pledged to the discount window, can this collateral be used for the program? Yes. Are advances extended under the program made with recourse? Yes, advances made under the program are made with recourse beyond the pledged collateral to the eligible borrower, meaning they'll get their money back. One of the thoughts I had, and it was confirmed by somebody else who independently came up with the same thought, was when you get loans at the Federal Home Loan Bank, and when you get loans at your corporate credit union, you have to pledge collateral. 
And in many instances, these are blanket collateral pledges. And of course, the Federal Home Loan Bank has their super lien, which is stronger than any other position on the planet, which may be something that should be reevaluated. But in any event, if you have these investments pledged at other places, it's not going to be as simple or it shouldn't be as simple as you also pledging them to the Fed because you can't you can't borrow two dollars from two different places on the same collateral. So obviously that's something you need to watch carefully as you negotiate through this. And I'm sure the federal home loan banks and and the, the corporates will probably be making you aware of that as well. Again, if you're considering going down this path. It also goes through basic mechanics. How does the depository institution initiates an advance and it has links to that? At what rate will the advance under the program be extended? Advances made under the program will be extended at the one-year overnight index swap OI rate as of the date of the advances made, plus 10 basis points. Are there any fees associated with it? No. What are what will the maturity of the program extension of credit being? Advances are only up for a year. Is there a limit to the total amount of program extensions of credit that an individual depository institution may obtain? No, an individual depository institution may borrow up to the par value of eligible collateral that it can pledge to the Federal Reserve. See, there, there are things that haven't been pledged elsewhere is, are things that you can pledge to the Federal Reserve and, of course, something that they're willing to take. Other, does a depository institution have to have a master account at the Fed in order to borrow under the program? No. Can a bank that receives advances under the program also receive primary credit advances? Yes. Where should questions regarding the program be directed to your local Federal Reserve Bank? What information does the Federal Reserve publicly lose about the program? Said another way, who's going to know that I borrowed from you? The Federal Reserve's disclosure under the program will be consistent with the disclosures it made beginning in 2020 under the primary dealer credit facility, commercial paper funding facility, and money market mutual fund liquidity facility, whatever that means. The current rate for the bank term funding program is 4.68% as of March 14th, 2023. A few more thoughts from some other articles that caught my attention. And those are a, a article in the Wall Street Journal titled, The Fed's Magical Accounting Might Save Banks, But It Dooms Rate Increases. So you have the desire to control inflation on one side, and you have the desire to prevent a contagion in the banking system. And a lot of folks are saying that rate increases are going to be less or zero. I saw an NCUA board member post something that they saw that shows that by the end of the year, people think that Fed funds rates will be down 25 basis points. People are saying next week they'll raise them 25 basis points instead of 50. So the Fed's job just got tougher. And that's a a general conclusion by many, many people out there. Speaking of the blame blame game, there's a Wall Street Journal story with the headline, Barney Frank pushed to ease financial regulations after joining Signature Bank Board. So Barney Frank is on the Signature Bank Board. According to this article, he pushed for easing of financial regulations. So here we have, we have the you know the the one side saying uh, the Trump administration wanted changes making, and here we have Barney Frank of the Democratic Party, and you know he was trying to do the same thing on the other side. And so again, the blame game is is going full tilt right now. And here's another one similar to the last one, the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank. Signature Bank calls 
Fed interest rate passed into question. Again, how can they raise rates while they're doing this at the same time? NBC News story, Silicon Valley bank collapse puts new spotlight on a 2018 bank deregulation law. Elizabeth Warren, who led the push against the Trump era law, now wants to restore the rule on financial institutions. Biden is also calling on Congress to act. So whatever side of the aisle you're on, you've got the other side blaming the other side. article that I can't read because I don't subscribe to Financial Times, but a great headline. CB shows that there are few libertarians in a financial foxhole. I think what they're getting to there is both sides are pointing at each other and uh, there's no foxhole for the libertarians. All right. And I'm going to go back into Wall Street Journal right now and see what's at the top story as of 5.05 p.m. Regional bank stocks rally following Monday's route. Okay, so they've stabilized the system. They've kept the stock market up and the banks are being propped up by some of this liquidity. And I'm sure the hedge funds that were streaming on Friday made a lot more money today. A little bit of a, a cynical view today as the thoughts of this bailout, the thoughts of the banking system changing forever when uninsured shares are suddenly magically insured by the Fed. While I understand the need to move quickly, I'm very curious to see what how this plays out. Was it effective? Was it really necessary? We'll never really know that. So that's, uh, that's all I've got for you today. I'll have more tomorrow as the news stories warrant. This is Mark Treichel signing off with Flying Colors. Thank you for joining us on this episode of With Flying Colors. Subscribe on your favorite podcast app to hear future episodes where subject matter experts of all varieties will provide tips on how to achieve success with NCUA. If you would like to learn more about how we assist credit unions, check out our services at marktreichel.com. 